Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move, as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now, here's some half-assed history. What's going on, mate? Great to have you along for some more half-assed history. This week on the agenda, we're going to be having a chat about all the times that the CIA attempted to assassinate Fidel Castro, the former Cuban president. Well, um, yeah, I say all the times. Um, I, I've lied to you because we're not actually going to talk about There's no way that we could talk about all the times that the CIA attempted to, you know, plotted to assassinate him because apparently there were over 600 of these assassination plots and there are only so many hours in the day. The CIA, the uh, the Central Intelligence Agency, the, the Foreign Intelligence Service of the uh, of the United States, they were absolutely obsessed with killing this bloke. Absolutely obsessed. And look, I I don't want to I don't want to spoil the ending for you or anything, but you know, there's actually not going to be very much horrible murder in this episode because Castro died in 2016 at the age of 90. So, yeah, they they didn't get there. Um, Fidel Castro, if you don't know too much about him, he he helped to overthrow the US-backed military dictatorship that ruled Cuba up until the end of the successful uh, Cuban Revolution in in 1959 and Unsurprisingly, the US they, they they weren't too hot on uh, on Castro after this. Having a you know a communist nation next door at the height of the Cold War didn't suit them, and uh, they did everything that they could to oppose the the Castro regime, which included a lot of assassination plots, each of which was ultimately unsuccessful, uh, of course. But that's just where it starts, because some of these assassination plots they sound like something out of a bloody James Bond film, and I'm not I'm not talking about like you know dark, edgy, brooding, bloody gritty Daniel Craig Bond. I'm talking about Proper, silly, you know, Sean Connery Bond. This is, uh, I mean, these are just the saner ones as well. Some of the plots went even further than bloody James Bond. Some of the plots sound like something out of Looney Tunes. They sound like Wiley Coyote was the CIA director, coming up with plot after plot, each more ridiculous than the last. We've got exploding cigars, toxin-laced wetsuits, poisoned ice cream, even a booby-trapped conch shell. Seemed like the CIA would absolutely try anything here. So today... We're going to get across uh, some of the more well-documented and well-known plots against Castro's life. Bear in mind that even with how you know relatively recently this all happened, we still don't have the most complete picture of it all. But but we'll do our best. It may surprise you to learn. I mean, you know, we don't have the most complete picture. Say, it, it'll surprise it'll surprise you to learn that the CIA isn't huge on sharing information about their human rights abuses over the years. But uh, what has come out since the Cold War period with Castro is extremely spicy. So let's get to it here and have a chat about the assassination attempts made by the CIA on Fidel Castro. Here we go. So we're going all the way back here, going all the way back to 1926 to set the stage properly. Fidel Castro born on the 13th of August 1926, as I say, in Biran, which is a small town uh, in the eastern part of Cuba. Now, he was born out of wedlock to a rich sugarcane farmer whose name was Angel Castro Iagis and one of his servants, Lina Ruz Gonzalez. Now, he wasn't a good student when he was growing up. He wasn't particularly academically minded. He was much more uh, interested in sports. He particularly loved his baseball. But uh, after finishing his schooling as a young man in 1945, he started a law degree at the University of Havana. And this is where his political life took off. This is where his interest in politics really, uh, really started. Before university, he wasn't into politics, uh, but once he started his degree, he got involved in a big way. He became a staunch anti-imperialist. He imposed U.S. foreign intervention, particularly in the Caribbean. Uh, he became a Marxist, and he was involved actually in an unsuccessful coup, uh, an unsuccessful coup attempt against the Dominican Republic dictator Rafael Trujillo. 
Um, then after this, in 1950, once he graduated, he opened up a law office and then stood for office uh, in the Cuban parliament. However, he didn't win the election, uh, but it wasn't entirely his fault that he didn't win the election. Uh, it's mainly because the election never happened after a military dictator named Fulgencio Batista seized power. So the election was called off as a result. Now, Batista, he's in the pockets of the United States. They offered him financial and military backing and to repay the United States here. Batista allowed 70% of the Cuban agricultural sector to fall under U.S. ownership. So U.S. businesses, they're awarded rich government contracts. Even the American mafia controlled underground businesses throughout Cuba. And Batista accepted, uh, uh, he, he brooked no resistance against his regime. He cracked down on the press as well as torturing and executing political opponents as he basically handed his nation over in many respects to the United States. He was, in other words, really, and you know, if this technical terminology gets a little bit too confusing for you, I do apologise, but he was, you know, to use the, the formal term, a bit of a nasty pasty, really. Uh, and Castro wasn't having it. He wasn't pleased, he didn't like this Batista bloke at all. And uh, he became a leading figure, Castro did, in the resistance movement against Batista's regime. Throughout the 1950s, Castro led the fight against Batista. He got arrested a couple of times, imprisoned, um, but ultimately... He helped to grow the resistance movement into a full-blown, not just a resistance movement, into a revolutionary movement here. Eventually, through extended guerrilla campaigning, as well as Batista's increasing unpopularity, which led to mass defections, Castro and his movement emerged victorious at the beginning of 1959. Castro seized power. He became the leader of Cuba, first as the prime minister and then later as the president. And he held this position for almost the next five decades. Now, as you can imagine... The US were none too pleased about this, you know, communist upstart upsetting the apple cart in this way. They had a nice little racket going on in Cuba, thank you very much, and here comes Castro to ruin it all. And ruin it he did, can I tell you this as well? He nationalised all the US-owned Cuban industry without any recompense to the former owners. He said, get stuff, mate, get out of here, tell your story, walk, and we're not interested in all these US interests here in this country. And the US responded by severing diplomatic relations with Cuba altogether and imposing imposing a trade embargo, which pushed Cuba into the welcoming arms of the USSR. Don't forget, this is the height of the Cold War, you know, and, and much of the stuff that revolved around, the, you know, the, the, the Cuban question really exacerbated and heightened the conflict, the tensions between these, uh, these world superpowers. So the US driving... Uh, Cuba away like this really did contribute to, uh, to, to the way that the Cold War played out. Anyway, the political ties between Cuba and, uh, and the Soviets were further strengthened in 1961 when Castro publicly announced himself as a Marxist-Leninist, and now the US had a staunch Russian ally at their doorstep and had to deal with it. But even before 1961, the United States was moving against Castro in a major way. They attempted to remove him from the equation altogether with a political assassination, I mean, as early as the year that he took power. And here's where we begin the stories properly. Don't worry if you think that they start off a bit lame. You know, we've got to eat our veggies first. We'll get to the wild stuff soon enough. But to begin with, these ones are, you know, a little more by the book, a little, a little, more, a little more orthodox when it comes to political assassinations. In 1959, more or less as soon as the revolution ended, the United States immediately... They begin to look uh, look for ways to, you know, take Castro out. <laughs> and I don't mean to dinner. Um, now, you'll remember, uh, you remember just before I mentioned a certain US organisation, a, uh, you know, a shadowy clandestine organisation, one that is synonymous with illegal and morally reprehensible behaviour, with murder and racketeering, with its powerful and corrupt bosses overseeing a, a more or less a, a private army of enforcers. But hey, uh, that's enough about the CIA. Let's talk about the mafia instead. 
with with the ascend with oh dude, sorry about that <clears throat> with the ascendancy of Castro here the American the American mafia also stood to uh, they stood to lose it all in Cuba um they just, I mean just like the CIA Castro was uprooting U.S. interest in Cuba and that included the the criminal underworld as well as the uh, you know the 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 more uh, above board legitimate operations as well so as a result of this. The CIA approached an unlikely ally in the American Mafia for the most ambitious crossover event in Cold War history. The CIA came to a series of Mafia bosses, people like Santo Traficante, the boss of the Miami Syndicate, or Salvatore Giancana, one of Al Capone's successors in Chicago. Um, And the CIA, they came to these gangsters with an offer, right? $150,000, well over a million bucks these days, for the killing of Castro. That's right. In in, in, In 2007, right? Documents were declassified that revealed that the CIA itself had ordered a mob hit on someone, and not just anyone, but a foreign head of state. Anyway, the mafiosos, they're quite interested in this offer, of course, as again, Castro is interfering with their operation in Cuba, and so they accept. Brilliant. They're getting paid to do something they you know, really are going to benefit from anyway, and, uh, and, they're, and they're happy to take the money, so fantastic. They're very, uh, they're very pleased to, uh, to you know, embrace this very odd uh, relationship with uh, with the CIA at this point to try to uh, try to knock Castro off, and so in 1960, the first of many plans to assassinate Castro was put into action as the CIA furnished the mob with specially made poison pills. While the mob found a suitable hitman, a bloke named Juan Orta was chosen. He was a Cuban government official who would have access to Castro, and so Orta was given these poison pills and instructions to get them into Castro's food by any means necessary. Now. The details from here on out, they get a little hazy. Apparently, Orta did make many attempts, but he never managed to pull it off. And I wasn't able to find out why, but at some point he bailed. In 1960, he just abruptly gave up. He said he was out and he piked on the whole operation. So instead, the mafia had to find someone new. They found another bloke, a doctor, whose name was Anthony Verona. Now, Verona was a Cuban exile who was disillusioned with Castro. There were a lot of Cuban exiles living particularly in Florida. Um, and and this bloke Verona, he wasn't a fan of Castro, and he asked for eleven thousand dollars up front before starting the operations for various costs and whatever else. And Verona got a lot closer than anyone else, probably before or afterwards. Verona, it, it said, got closer than than the CIA ever managed to uh, to to actually killing Castro. He took these poison pills. He organised for them to be taken to an ice cream shop. Now, Castro bloody loved his ice cream. He loved ice cream. Very well known. And so the plan was to put the pills in an ice cream that Castro would eat. Although in some versions of the story, it was going to be put in a milkshake. So I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. Anyway, whatever the, whatever the case, the ice cream shop, they took receipt of the pills and they hid them, hid them away in the freezer and then waited for the you know reasonably regular Castro to show up and have an ice cream. Except he didn't. Not for months. I don't know if he knew something was up. Doesn't seem like he did. Maybe he's just a lucky bastard who didn't fancy an ice cream for a while. Whatever it was, the ice cream shop held onto these pills until it was too late. Again, there are differing versions of the story, but most seem to agree that by the time Castro turned up, these pills got stuck to a freezer coil in the freezer where they were hidden and therefore were rendered useless. You'd have to, you know, even if Castro turned up fancy an ice cream after all, the pills were frozen solid inside the freezer, couldn't be administered. I mean, a bit of a bloody giveaway if the server started hacking away at the ice in the freezer like you do when, you know, you accidentally leave the freezer door open. Oh, hang on. Sorry, Castro, just one second, mate. Let me get this up. You know, I just got to... I got to chip away with a butter knife at the at the freezer coils because we left the door open. He's going, mate, I just came here for some bloody mint choc chip. What are you doing hacking it out of the ice, mate? Don't worry about that. Anyway, if you'll believe it, this was, as I say, the closest that the CIA ever came, which is to say not very... 
uh, to killing Castro. And even this mafia-based attempt was was aborted prematurely in 1961. They, they didn't follow through with it with the mob here. Um, and, and the reason for that was, of course, in 1961, as you, may, as, as you may already know, the Bay of Pigs invasion took place. This was where the CIA, uh, they took a different tack. Um, and instead of trying to assassinate Castro, they just attempted an actual factual invasion of Cuba, you know, rather than just the old clandestine mob hit there. Now, the Bay of Pigs invasion, if you don't know, it was a US-sponsored invasion of Cuba with the, by these Cuban exiles that I'd mentioned before uh, that was swiftly rebuffed by the new Cuban regime. Uh, Castro mobilized his troops and uh, and repelled the invasion, leading uh, his forces personally himself, which obviously, you know, in, in, in this period in history, very, very rare indeed. And it was a huge diplomatic victory for, uh, for Cuba, a huge diplomatic blunder for the United States and the Kennedy regime, of course, alienated Cuba even further from the, from the US. It solidified Castro's reputation as a national hero, and it damaged the international standing and the reputation of the United States quite significantly here. And it was at this point that the mafia backed off. They seemed to know when to quit while they were ahead. Maybe they, maybe they you know, the, 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 the United States reputation had been so severely tarnished that even the mob was being like, oh, no, look, we can't associate with you anymore. Whatever it was, after the invasion failed, the CIA were on their own. Effectively, they they didn't have the uh, they didn't have the mob uh, to to do their dirty work for them. However, the CIA was just getting warmed up with uh, their plans to assassinate Castro. Here are some of the wildest ways that the CIA sought to kill Castro after the uh, after this whole affair here. And, and we're presenting these in my favourite order. No particular. I did uh, try to establish a chronology to all of these absurd plots, but it seems like the CIA had a lot of irons in the fire all at the same time, and many of these assassination plots seem to overlap with one another in terms of their timing. It does really feel like it was just a case of the CIA throwing as much spaghetti at the wall as they could and, and, and just hoping that some of it would stick. So... This isn't necessarily, again, in any order. You know, it was difficult to establish when all this sort of stuff happened, and so I didn't, I didn't do it chronologically or anything. So we are jumping back and forward a little bit here in time. But uh, in any case, look, strap yourselves in because it's going to be a wild old ride from here on out. Here are some of the ways in which the Central Intelligence Agency, again, the premier foreign intelligence service of the United States of America, the world's most powerful nation, here's how they attempted to assassinate Fidel Castro. Castro was known to bloody love his cigars. In fact, obviously, there are many iconic pictures of the bloke. You know, you, you can see that they depict him chuffing away on his cigars. And the CIA sought to use this to their advantage. What you're about to hear next is 100% true. It was revealed in declassified intelligence documents. It actually happened. Believe it or not, here's what they did. The CIA managed to get their hands on a box of Castro's favourite cigars. And what they did with them is fill them full of poison. They laced these cigars with poison, uh, botulinum toxin, an absolutely deadly substance. And uh, they put the, they put enough of it in the cigars to kill someone just by putting one in their mouth, right? The CIA prepared these cigars. They gave them to an unidentified agent in 1961. We've never been able to find too much out about the the person who these cigars were given to. And uh, unfortunately, from that story, from that point of the story onwards, there's not a further record of what happened next. Presumably, the agent failed to get them near Castro, or perhaps I don't know. Maybe Castro had a team of cigar testers, like you know, you'd have food tasters in ancient Rome. Whatever the case, this ruse didn't work. But if the stories are, be, are to be believed, this is not the only thing that the CIA tried with cigars. Not only, apparently, did they get this box of cigars, fill them full of poison, and you know, try to offload them to Castro. They also apparent. I mean, look, okay, 
I'll, I'll be honest with you. There's a lot less evidence that this next plot ever occurred. It might just be an urban legend. But honestly, who bloody knows? Because it's not going to surprise you by the end of this podcast that, you know, that the CIA might have tried this one here. The story goes that the CIA didn't just stop at poison, but also attempted to put, wait for it, explosives in cigars that were meant for Castro. Yes, explosives. Like a bloody Bugs Bunny cartoon, mate. Like those ads that you see in the back of old comic books. I mean, if this is true, is this how the CIA came up with their ideas? Bloody watching Saturday morning cartoons or reading comic books and then going, oh, bloody hell, geez, let's just, let's just give that a bill. Might be a good idea, eh? Look, I don't know. Nothing came of any of the cigar plots, obviously, whether it was the historically verified poison ones or the slightly dubious exploding ones. But we've got plenty more stuff to get through. Don't you worry about that. Castro was also a fan of scuba diving. He did. It was one of his uh, one of his hobbies. He did love to have a bit of a scuba dive. And uh, the CIA based another series of plots around this fact. Honestly, at this point, it feels like the CIA, you know, looked up his bloody online dating profile and went through it with a list of you know went through a list of his likes to come up with a plot for each of them. You know, you can just imagine it. Tall, bearded Cuban guy seeks fun and adventurous partner for scuba diving adventures and toppling military dictatorships, loves ice cream and cigars, must oppose US imperialism. I don't know, but Castro, he loves scuba diving. He'd often go on diving trips with his bodyguards and the CIA, right, like, okay, right, here we, this, this is where we're going to get him. They sought to assassinate him while on one of these trips. And you're immediately thinking, right, okay, you know what they've done? They've, you know, trained up a specialised underwater assassin, an agent with a long-lasting oxygen supply who can lurk underwater with a bloody harpoon gun or something like that. No, no, no. No, no, no. That would be far too straightforward. Absolutely not. Instead, the CIA bought, this is not a joke, they bought a huge number of big, fancy seashells, uh, conchers and, and stuff like that, and they painted them bright colours to make them look exotic and rare, and then they attempted to plant explosives inside these shells with a view to scatter them in Castro's favourite diving spots. He'd go on a dive, he'd spot a shell. Oh, bloody nice one. Take that one back with me, I reckon. He picks it up, boom goes the dynamite, and Castro's bloody shark food, mate. I mean, at this point, you sort of think maybe using sharks actually would have been a better idea. You know, train one to attack blokes with patchy beards or maybe disguise an assassin in inside a shark suit, you know, and we talk to Katy Perry about getting a shark suit, pop them in one of them and, you know, chomp, chomp, and that's the end of Castro. But instead, they're using exploding seashells. I mean, I it's ridiculous, but it's also, it's absolutely true. The CIA investigated the possibility of rigging up explosive seashells to kill Castro. And this, again wasn't the only plot that was based around Castro's love of love of scuba diving. The CIA also fell back to their old standby of just poison. They uh, they procured a fancy wetsuit, right? The sort of thing you'd wear when you when you go diving, and they lined its insides with a fungus that would cause a skin-eating infection on anyone who wore it. And just in case this, you know, skin-eating fungus wasn't enough on the inside of the wetsuit, they also filled the breathing apparatus with tuberculosis. 
You can't make this up, honestly. They put the bacteria responsible for tuberculosis uh, in the suit's air supply, and then they organised for a bloke whose name was James B. Donovan to present it to Castro as a gift. Now, Donovan was a negotiator. He was bargaining with Castro for the release of 1,113 prisoners that were taken during the Bay of Pigs invasion. And the idea was that Donovan would uh, would give this uh, give the suit to Castro as a gift, you know, sweeten the pot a little bit there. However, the uh, the suit never made it to Castro. It actually never let, it never left the lab. As a matter of fact, maybe they maybe they realised that it was an absolutely ludicrous plan that would never work, or maybe that they were worried that an assassination attempt in the middle of a you know prisoner negotiation would endanger the lives of the prisoners. Ah, no, <laughs> I mean. It's, it's not that, obviously. It's the CIA we're talking about here. A thousand prisoners, I mean, not even a blip on the radar. Don't worry about them. Um, Donovan actually, for what it's worth, did manage to get the prisoners freed, by the way, far more than the original 1,113 too. He almost got 10,000 prisoners out of, uh, out of Cuba in, in total. He was also involved in the, uh, in the spy trade of Gary Powers during the 1960 U2 incident, but that's another story. Anyway, very interesting bloke. Uh, very, very interesting bloke indeed, James B. Donovan. Anyway. The tuberculosis-infested scuba suit and the, uh, and the let's not forget, exploding seashells um, never, never properly, you know, took flight or, or anything else like that. But, but between these two ridiculous plots, the CIA made it pretty clear that anything was on the table here, which makes the next plot that we're going to talk about here seem all the more boring and tame by comparison, I'm afraid. But this one also came a lot closer than most others. Castro married twice throughout his life, but he also seemed to have a fair few mistresses over the years, one of whom was a German-American whose name was Marita Lorenz. Now, Lorenz had had an affair with Castro for several months in 1959, and she was recruited by the CIA in 1960 to assassinate him after, after he more or less spurned her, right? Now, you'll never guess what they gave to Lorenz in order to kill Castro. You're never going to guess what they used. It was, in fact, poison. Yes, poison pills once again, botulinum toxin. How could you possibly have known? And off she goes back to Cuba, back to Havana to try to give them to Castro once she's, uh, one, you know, once the CIA is given a bit of training and, and given her these, uh, these, these pills. Now, Lorenz talked about what happened years after the encounter, including the fact that she stuffed it all up beyond belief before she'd even arrived. She actually made the poison pills completely useless by hiding them in a jar of moisturising cream, uh, which meant that they bloody dissolved straight away. So even if she'd wanted to follow through with the assassination, the only way she would have been able to do it is, oh, come in, oh sorry, Fidel, come here, mate. You're looking a little bit dry and flaky around the old... You know, just let me let me pop some of this in, inside your mouth. I don't know. You, <laughs> I don't know. You don't need to moisturise your gums very often anyway. So what happened was this, right? She, uh, she got in a plane to Havana. She met up with her old lover, who apparently immediately just knew that something was up. I mean, you get a call from your ex, she, she, she turns up, obviously there's something on the agenda, and he, he sniffed it out straight away. Once they were alone together, he laid down on the bed there, and he asked her some questions, and straight away, he guessed that she was involved with his opponents back in the US, and, she, and, and asked directly, have you been sent here to, to kill me? And she caved, she capitulated, and she said yes, she'd been sent to kill him, she was in cahoots with the CIA, and, uh, and, and you know, she'd come with this plot to end his life. And apparently, his response was to turn to her and smile and say, yeah, that's good. But check this out. Castro then took out his pistol and handed it to her, offering her the chance to kill him then and there. He actually handed her a loaded firearm and said, go on, do it if you think you're hard enough. He knew, he bloody well knew 
that she wouldn't be able to kill him. And as she threw the gun back to him, he even said, you can't kill me. Nobody can kill me. The nerve of this guy. Can you believe this bloke? Can you imagine how tough this bloke must have been to have done something like that? Unbelievable. And then after that, right, after this whole gun thing, Lorenz then hopped into bed with him and they rooted just like that. I mean, not not the kind of taking out that I guess the uh, the CIA was hoping for there. Anyway, I mean, obviously, this is all just based on what Lorenz came out and said afterwards, right? She flies all the way to Havana to assassinate the bloke and instead just get, instead she just gets her end away and that's it. Castro gets up, gets gets dressed and, and left and, you know, that that's how it goes there. And, you know, we may never actually know with 100% certainty what took place between these two blokes. This is all, again, based on the story that Lorenz came and told us years later. But one thing's for certain, she didn't bloody kill him. She didn't kill him. We certainly know that. I mean, that's for sure. And look, hey, you know, if you're going to go all that way and you're not going to murder the bloke, you don't want the trip to be a waste. So you may, you know, you may, you may as well make the most of the opportunity. Anyway. There's one final plot to kill Castro that I want to mention here. And as I say, there were, there were hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of them. But, they, but these are the headlines and these ones, they, these are the good ones. And this last one is brilliant for a couple of reasons here. Apparently, at one point, right, in 1963, the CIA had developed a pen that you'll, well, you'll never guess what the pen did. You'll, you'll, you will never, you will never in a million years uh, be able to, uh, you know, deduct for yourselves what this pen actually did. I mean, I'll just tell you it delivered a deadly dose of poison to the user. I mean, stunningly original, I'm sure you'll agree. But honestly, this sounds like something out of a James Bond film, doesn't it? This pen, it, uh, it was said to have a, a tiny, tiny hypodermic needle, so small, so thin, that apparently you wouldn't even feel it piercing your skin as it, uh, you know, delivered this lethal uh, lethal dose of poison to you. Anyway, the CIA, uh, they had a contact within the Cuban government, a, a contact that would be able to, to, to deliver this poison pen to Castro and have him use it. Now, this is brilliant. Obviously, they also gave this bloke, whose name we still don't know, by the way, they also gave this bloke a bunch of boring stuff like sniper rifles and scope, whatever, scopes, whatever else. But who cares about all that nonsense? The cool thing was this deadly pen, right? Got a needle and it'll kill you. Great. Excellent. Get into Castro's hands. See you later, toilet paper. You're bloody dead killed by a pen. Now, the CIA, they organized a pickup of all this stuff with their Cuban contact. No worries. And apparently, it was all dropped off on the 22nd of November. That is the 22nd of November, 1963, the day that, well, I mean, the day that another reasonably high-profile political assassination took place. On the day that the CIA was bloody buggerizing around with poison pens trying to kill Fidel Castro, John Kennedy, the President of the United States of America, was assassinated in Dallas. Maybe if the CIA hadn't been so worried about poison pens and exploding seashells, they might have prevented JFK from having his bloody head blown off. Who knows? Anyway, obviously nothing came of the poison pen or all them snipers or anything else as well. Nothing came of anything. I mean, the score at this point is 1-0 against the US when it comes to assassinated heads of state. And there are so many others on top of these. So many other attempts or plots, as I say. There was a plan to chuck a grenade at Castro at a, ba- a baseball game. There were plans to plant explosives to kill him here, there, and everywhere, including in the United States when he came for a visit. But compared to the ones you've just heard, they're all they're all very, very tame. But before we wrap it up, right, there's one final assassination attempt that I want to tell you about. And this, this wasn't one that was made on Castro's life, but rather it was an, assassin- it was an assassination attempt that was made on his character. 
Perhaps realizing the bloke was basically invincible, the CIA instead attempted to pull off a series of character assassinations. And they did this in a few different ways. Again, each more ridiculous than the last. Don't worry about that. But have a listen to this. All the different ways that they attempted to discredit Castro as a leader. After the the absolute disaster that was the Bay of Pigs invasion, the CIA planned to fly planes over Cuba that would drop thousands and thousands of leaflets to the ground below. Now, on these leaflets would be printed the cash bounties available to anyone who killed senior Cuban government officials. And these bounties, they really weren't mucking around. They did, I mean, the CIA, you know, when planning this, they really did seem to be trying to get ordinary Cubans to rise up against the Castro regime. They offered up to a million bucks for some of the primary government figures. But not for Castro. Castro's bounty was set at two cents. I think it was meant to, like, humiliate him or embarrass him or something, but I mean, mate, he holds all the cards. This bloke is untouchable. The gag falls a bit flat as far as I'm concerned. It'd be, it, I mean, you could see circumstances if it, where it would be a, a pretty good gag and might be a little bit embarrassing for the bloke on the end of it, but this is the bloke who, like, you can't kill with anything from bloody, you know, mistresses with poison pills to exploding seashells. I don't think you really got a leg to stand on. I mean, they never followed through with the, the leaflets in any case. Maybe they realised that it wasn't going to be that effective and so they cut their losses early. But the CIA also sought to discredit him by going after one of his most precious possessions here, his beard. If you'll believe it, they hatched a plot to dust his footwear with thallium salts, which causes hair loss and would have made his beard fall out. The plan was to dust his shoes when he left them out for shining at a hotel one night, but it never came to fruition. He cancelled the, 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 the trip that he was going to go on where they were going to put this plan into action, so it never happened. And as I'm sure you know, Castro wore his beard from go to woe. All, all the pictures of him throughout most of his life, he does have that, uh, that, that signature beard. So... This attempt was just as successful as all the others. And honestly, like, I mean, I know some men get very attached to their facial hair, but I'm not sure that removing his beard was going to be the key to, you know, completely unraveling the entire Cuban regime. But I don't know. Anyway, but perhaps the most ridiculous plan to discredit Castro was the one that involved the efforts the CIA made to sabotage his speeches. Now, Castro loved to give these, you know, these these addresses via radio, right? To give these long speeches on, on, on the radio. And the CIA saw this as a way to, uh, you know, to, to interfere, a way to, uh, to, to, again, try to discredit him as, as a leader. They attempted to develop an LSD-like chemical, which would have then been uh, either sprayed on his radio broadcasting equipment or just, you know, used to gas the, the, the room that he was in while giving this speech. Uh, and meaning, you know, that when he went to give this this broadcast on radio, he'd start tripping balls and saying, you know, who knows bloody what. And what doesn't really add up for me at this point is like, why not just use the bloody poison, mate? Did you run out of botulinum toxin with the pens and the pills? What's going on? Why are you now trying to make him trip balls when you could just try to like bloody kill him if you if you've got the if you've got a way to gas the the studio that he's in or or you know poison the or you know sp- spray stuff all over the equipment he's using. I, I don't know, man, whatever. In any case, it didn't work. Surprise, bloody surprise. The chemical wasn't potent or reliable enough, and so the whole idea was abandoned. But talk about the whole, like, there's no such thing as a bad idea here. You know, the next time you're in a work meeting and your boss says that, just think of the, I mean, where do we start? Just think of the poison pen, the assassin who ends up shagging her target instead of killing him. The exploding cigar, the exploding seashells, mate. The bloody hair loss chemicals in his shoes. No such thing as a bad idea. None of them worked. That's the funniest part of a single one of them had. It might have made everything else seem worth it. But nothing came close 
Fidel Castro lived to 2016. Illness meant that he had to step down from power in 2008, after almost 50 years as a leader of Cuba, despite what I hesitate to term the best efforts of the CIA. And Castro seemed supremely unimpressed by all the attempts as well. He was quoted as, uh, as saying once, if surviving assassination attempts were an Olympic event, I would win the gold medal. And that wasn't even his best line either. His best one came uh, when, he was, when he was offered a gift of a Galapagos turtles, you know them, uh, a tortoise, sorry, you know them, the, the tortoises that live to over 100? And here's what he said when, uh, when he was given this gift. He said, that's the problem with pets. You get attached to them and then they die on you. I mean, maybe this tortoise had a bloody robot-controlled poison bomb in its shell. Who knows, mate? Maybe that was a... The CIA was, again, trying to give him an exploding tortoise. Who knew? But uh, Castro considered himself to be invincible and even, you know, thought about the idea of outliving a Galapagos tortoise to be something that he, he, he would probably ultimately do. But the long and the short of it is here is that the US government completely and utterly failed to oust Castro from power by any and all means. In 1976, US President Gerald Ford signed an executive order that said, no employee of the United States government shall engage in or conspire in political assassination. So now the CIA couldn't officially keep doing it, although who knows if that actually stopped them. And all the while, right through through to 2008, Castro's reign in Cuba was long and... Actually, very difficult to describe. Um, Castro remains one of the most divisive figures in modern history. His supporters characterize him as a national hero, a bloke who stood against imperialism and advanced Cuba's position in the world. But his detractors, they characterize him as a cruel dictator who exiled his opponents and was guilty of you know many human rights abuses. But any way you slice it, any way you slice it, there are two things that we can all agree on when it comes to Fidel Castro. He was, of course a hugely significant figure in both Cuban history and in Cold War history more broadly, and that he was a bloody difficult bugger to kill. But that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. That is the story of all of the botched attempts at assassinating Fidel Castro, he managed somehow to beat the pens and the shells and the bloody scuba diving equipment and the, you know, and the cigars and everything and, and lived out a very long life, as I say, only dying very recently in 2016. So I hope you enjoyed this uh, this episode. It was it was a ridiculous one to research, I have to say. I, I couldn't believe how deep the rabbit hole went. Anyway, if you've got uh, a suggestion for a story like this, you know, something that's a little bit ridiculous or out there, please get in touch. I'd love to hear it. Halfhousehistory.net. There's a contact form that you can use to contact me there. And of course, there are links there to old episodes. You can subscribe and support me on Patreon if you'd like. Thank you so very much to all the uh, all the exalted exalted patrons who are throwing money my way every month. If you'd like to join their ranks, Patreon.com/slash/halfhousehistory is the place to do it. Get access to uncut episodes and uh, all sorts of other stuff there. I'll let you I'll let you look at it uh, yourselves. But thanks for just listening. Even if you're not uh, a member of the Patreon, uh, it, it's still great to have you on board. Just uh, you know, every week having a haven't listened to whatever I'm, uh, I'm I'm going on about. So thanks so much for being here. And of course, be sure to tell your friends and your enemies and the people about whom you feel largely ambivalent. It's good to get the word out. Anyway, that is that for this week's episode of Half Hours History. Thanks for being here with me. And as ever, we're going to close out the show with a question posed on Reddit. This one comes to us from the infamous monk who asks, how did Fidel Castro defeat Batista in 1959 when Batista wasn't even a WWE World Heavyweight Champion until 2005?